What a great story. You know, the reality is that uh, a life of generosity is lived out of the church and should be. We, we should be more concerned about giving more than we ever have before than we are about keeping more than we ever have before because of the power of generosity. We are in our third week of a Live Generously series. I want you to take your Bibles this morning one more time to the same text, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is probably the passage, the text that has built more kingdom ministries than any other text in the Bible. Simply because it is the premier text for looking at the power of generosity and the power of God at work through the lives of those who understand and experience generosity. We've been talking about this now for three weeks. Today, we close this series or conclude it with a message called the blessing of generosity. I want you to know the blessing that's ahead of you when you give generously, serve generously, when you share generously with all those around you. Let's stand for the word of God today, if you would. Stand together with me. Have your Bibles open to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 8. We've gone through the first seven verses of this. We know this is written to the church at Corinth, one of several churches that is being encouraged to give a financial gift to the church at Jerusalem, the mother church, if you will. They're hurting, they've been persecuted, they're impoverished, they're needy. And so even though Jerusalem gave out all they had to all these other churches, now they're in need and these other churches are exhorted to give to this need. So Paul has sent, as apostles, several to Corinth to make sure they carry out their promised bountiful gift. And you'll see that in those first six or seven verses. But down in verse eight, Paul begins to not only encourages them to give, but he promises them the blessing that comes from generosity. And that's what we're focusing on this morning, beginning in verse 8. The Word says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything. What do you think about that line? Man, that's quite a line there. I'm going to read it again. So, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he, that is God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all, while they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Man, that's quite a... Quite a load there in that text right there. So many words that say so much in the way of overflowing praise for this idea of just one act of generosity. We're going to look at that this morning. Father, in Jesus' name, give us insight by the power of your Holy Spirit. Help every single one of us in this room learn something about the power and the blessing of generosity. We ask this in Jesus' name. All God's people again said, amen. Please be seated if you would. When I first started looking at this text, I thought, man, what an impressive lineup of superlatives. Superlatives are descriptive words. 
lavishly describing what happens when we're generous. Paul does not always use these kinds of superlatives. He doesn't always use these lavish kinds of words. There are moments in Paul's writings where you find him going overboard in communication. One of my favorites is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. To him be glory in the church, age without end, forever and ever. Amen. I mean, it's almost like a song that just keeps on going and keeps on going. Paul is saying, it's amazing what God does. It's amazing how God works in your life. And he's saying the same thing with generosity. He's using that same approach of saying, I get excited about a lot of things God does, but on your part, for you, I'm really pumped up about what God's going to do through generosity in your life. He said to the church at Corinth, whenever you see superlatives, you need to stop and pay attention. Now, my wife and I have been married 40 years. I know Kim really, really well. 40 years of marriage. I really know her well. And she knows me really well. And my wife is pretty uh, black and white. She'll say exactly what she thinks. She doesn't use superlatives very often. But a few years ago, she saw a certain kind of car that she really liked. And she went overboard describing that kind of car. And I thought to myself, we're going to have to get one of those at some point. Because she was describing for me something that she thought was extraordinarily beautiful and attractive in the way of an automobile. And she had driven mom cars all her life. And so this was an appropriate vehicle to get for her and one she liked very much. When you hear superlatives, stop and take notice of them, especially when it's your wife or the Apostle Paul who's saying, I want you to pay attention to what I'm about to share with you. Because what Paul's going to talk about is something that you can get excited about because God's all over this act of generosity. So as we walk through this text over these next few moments, I want you to know that Paul is really ramped up about this idea of generosity. And I've said this during the course of the last three weeks. We make no apologies for challenging you in the way of generosity. When you begin to understand and, and when you begin to act on generosity, when you begin to give what God has given you to others, you begin to see God move in your life in unusual and in some cases unique ways. When we serve with our time or when we give our talents or our energy or when we invest in someone else's life, we see that. When we write a check or give money to something that we believe in that God leads us to do or when we see a need and we, by an act of obedience and generosity, meet that need, somehow that opens God's power up in our lives that is not seen all the time. It's there. But often we hold God back from working through us. And here he wants Corinth not to miss that. So as I read this passage and studied the passage, I found three different things that were really standing out, three different lines of thinking. And Paul describes these three things in between all these great words that he uses. And one of those things is, where is God in generosity? I'm gonna answer that question over these next few moments. Where is God and what is God doing when we obey him and are generous? The second question we're gonna answer is, where are we? What happens to us? when we obey God in generosity? And, and what's the picture that's being painted here about those at Corinth that should be a part of that act of obedience of giving? And then thirdly, the others. What happens to other people when we are generous and God works and he works through us and the recipient or the impact is felt on someone else? What happens with others? 
So keep in mind, we're talking about something God does and initiates through each of our lives and then impact other people. You'll see the answers to those three questions all through here. First of all, let me give you the first principle here. When we live generously, God is able to supply. Now I want you to see where that is in verse eight and in verse 10. Paul right away says this in this verse. He said, and God is able. Somebody say those three words with me. God is able. Say them again. God is able. I've already shared with you that in Ephesians 3, Paul said God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. The Bible is filled with statements that describe God's ability. God is able is a common phrase. So here in the, in the context of generosity, we see that God is able. And if you go on down to verse 10, it says, Now he, that is God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed. So this point is taken from these two verses. And here's the point again. When we give generously and live generously, God is able to supply. This tells us that generosity never goes unrewarded. When you're willing to obey God, when you're willing to live a generous life, there's a blessing involved in your life that's there just because you've said, I will live a generous life and I will follow the leading of the Lord to serve, to give, to share in a way that most of the world does not. But here's why it's blessed. It's not just blessed because of what's gonna happen to you. This is the way of blessing because in generosity, we see God's power to provide. We see God at work. We see him bringing something to us that we wouldn't have otherwise. We see his character on display in ways we don't always see. It's a blessing because God shows us that he is not only able, but it shows his character as provider in our lives. And God always wants us to be aware of that. And it's always true that God is our provider. Where God leads us to obey, he provides always and always. Sometimes some people uh, use this phrase to describe when God does something like this. They say, oh, that's just God showing up and showing off. You ever heard that phrase before? Now, I don't often use that phrase, but really what that means is, is that God is manifesting himself. God is definitely showing up and definitely doing things that are out of the ordinary, supernatural. They can only be done by him. And generosity triggers those moments. That's what he says to Corinth. He says, if you'll step up and give, if you'll step up and follow through, God is able, he'll provide, and he will keep supplying seed for the sower. No matter how long or how deep or how far you dedicate yourself to give, God's ability will come through every time. And God as provider has been revealed to us all the way through scripture. Let's go all the way back to the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Years ago, I did a study of the compound Hebrew names for God. Many of us have heard those names before. And one of them, early on in the book of Genesis, describes God as our provider. And we often say, Jehovah Jireh, our God who provides. Many of us pray that when we have a need in our life. We say, Jehovah Jireh, you need to come home. You need to come and meet me in my need. You need to provide for me in my need. Jehovah Jireh, please provide for us. And that's appropriate to pray that way. But did you know that the first act of that word, the first instance of that is used in regard to God providing a sacrifice for Abraham instead of Isaac. You know the story in Genesis chapter 22. If you don't know it, go to it, turn to it really quickly. And I just want to read one verse out of Genesis chapter 22 that reveals the character of God. Genesis chapter 22, verse 14, it's what I'm going to be looking at. 
And look at that with me. You know the story. God tells Abraham, I want you to go out to Mount Moriah. I want you to get on that mountain with your son Isaac. And I want you to take your only son. I want you to sacrifice him on, uh, on an altar to me. And so Abraham is stunned by this request of God. And it's going to take an incredible act of faith to obey God in taking his own son's life. After all, his own son was a promise God gave him that he would be the father of many nations. And so in Abraham's mind, he cannot figure out how am I going to be the father of many nations if I take my only son and sacrifice him up on the mountain. And so he does what God tells him to do. He gets up on the mountain. He ties his son up on that altar. He lifts the knife. And there the angel of the Lord stops him. It says the Lord has provided his own sacrifice and there off to the sides a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. He's able to release his own son and put that ram there and sacrifice. And then he makes this statement. Abraham says in verse 14, Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide or Jehovah Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. Now, this is an amazing story that I'm only giving you the glimpse of. Later on, in that same mountain, Jesus was given as a sacrifice for our sins. Truly, God's character is he provides for everything we have need of, starting with salvation, starting with forgiving us of sin and giving us the opportunity to know God. If that's the God we know, can't we trust him for material things when it comes to giving time, effort, energy, gifts, finances, because God is able and God will supply. You see, the character of God begins to be very evident when we begin to obey him. Abraham obeyed God, believing that God would provide, and he walked by faith, and God did provide, and now we call Abraham the father of faith because of that incredible act of faith, and God demonstrated his character. Let me just tell you that generosity is about also understanding that God will provide for us as we obey him. How many of you were in this room in 2004? You remember this church in 2004, back during the time when the, the miracle took place? Would you raise your hand if you knew what that's, what that's about? All right, there's, there are a number in the room that were here back then. There are more than half of you that maybe were not. 2004, this church had lost its pastor and a number of staff members, and they were almost $7 million in debt with no plan for repayment. I remember an old, crusty um, interim pastor, not old, but just crusty interim pastor named Bill Anderson. He's probably in the room. I remember him standing on this stage and hitting his pulpit, whoops, and declaring that God was going to change things, and that's Really, what happened? God began to change. I remember watching the video of that a couple of years after he said it, and I remember the Spirit of God coming down on him in a powerful way. And I also remember hearing the story of how God's people at first year just began to give and give and trust God. And so they became generous. And as that generosity started to take place, as they gave above and beyond what they would normally give, $7 million of debt began to disappear and it was gone in 28 months. This church was debt free 28 months after that. Now those of you that were here that day would say this statement. You would say, I don't know how that happened because there were a lot of smaller donors. There weren't any million dollar donors. There were just people giving as God was leading them to give. But God is able and God supplied seed for the sower and God rewarded the acts of generosity and seven, uh, and seven uh, back in 2007 now, we were debt free from that point forward because somebody believed God and God demonstrated his character in a huge way. 
One of my favorite stories of that era. And I came in about halfway through that 28 months and I just watched it unfold. I mean, my best, uh, my best strategy as a new pastor was to just get out of the way and let the miracle happen, man. I mean, it was the easiest decision I've ever made and it was a wonderful moment. But one of those great stories by a lady who's now with the Lord was that she had some land and that land had an oil lease on it. 2004, oil lease wasn't doing really well in general, but as she began to be generous, all of a sudden the whole market changed and oil started going up and she began to have more and more money with which to give. And she gave very, very generously over the course of the whole 28 months of that miracle. At one point, late on in that miracle time period, she approached one of our staff members and here's what she said. I think these are the exact words. I'm not making this up like most preachers do. This is really a quote. <laughs> I'm gonna need to get me one of them their financial planners because I don't know what to do with the money God is blessing me with right now. I mean, God had just blessed this person that was willing to sow seed, that was willing to act in generosity and really that's what happened. As she began to have a testimony about the character of God moving in in her life in a moment of generosity, during a moment of obedience and that's exactly what God does. When we live generously, God is able to supply. When we live obediently, God will surprise us with his ability to meet the need through us. It's amazing. So that's what God's up to in generosity. What about us? What happens when we are generous? Well, when we live generously, we are enriched. That's what Paul says in verse 11. To the church at Corinth, he was talking about how God was going to enrich them. And if you look in verse 11, it says, you will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. Now, this is not the prosperity promise of the health wealth gospel. I think that's one of the, the, worst, uh, the worst interpretation of scripture that you can find. It's, her, it's heretical. The health wealth gospel is heretical. It's not uh, in the scripture where God always wants us to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. It's not there. But God does want to bless us. He does want to bless us, and that's what this promise tells us. This promise tells us that God is going to bless us with all we need to do as well. In fact, one of my favorite quotes is this one. Prosperity means always having all we need to do all that's God's will. That's what prosperity is. Prosperity is being content in the fact that God will meet all the need we have to do his will all of life. And I've experienced that looking back in my life. God has always been there. We say this, God is rarely early, but never late. Have you ever experienced that? Rarely early, but never late. But God always comes through and he always gives us everything we need. And to the Corinthians, Paul is saying, look, you're gonna have everything you need. You're giving this gift. It's not gonna change that. Because when we give gifts of time, we don't think we can get it back. Or money, we don't think it's going to be a positive impact on us. Or when we give service, or we dedicate ourselves to some long term of service, we say, man, that's time that's gone. But it's not gone. Because God can resupply us in every way. The energy, what we share, our time, he can resupply us with the money, whatever it is. An act of obedience is always met with an act of provision. Beyond that, this passage says that we'll be enriched in everything. Acts of generosity have a way of growing us. We'll be enriched in everything, not just financial, but we'll be enriched in spiritual maturity and financial insight and strength and grace and energy and ability. God grows us into a calling, in fact, when we begin to obey him towards that calling. I can't tell you how many times people have been called to something that they don't think they're adequate for. And let me tell you, if God is calling you to something 
and you don't believe you're adequate for it, you're in the right place. The right place of humility, the right place of saying, I can't do this, only God can do this. But when you say yes to God, God enables you to have all the grace you need to do that thing he calls you to, amen? And I've never known God to shortchange us grace when we obey him in any act of obedience. In fact, it's quite the opposite. God pours out more than we can handle. He can do exceedingly and abundantly above all we ask or think. When we are a conduit, a vessel, we are refilled time and time again. We're useful, and we know God is using us over and over, and there are few thrills on earth like that. I mean, I can think of a lot of things that are thrilling, but I can't think of a better thrill than knowing God is using us as an individual, as a church. Nothing better than that. So there's God, always at work in generosity, and there is what happens to us. That's what happens to people who are generous. God is able to provide for us. And then thirdly, what happens to others? When we live generously, others glorify God. Go to verse 13. Verse 13 is very plain about what happens to those who are the recipients. Because of the proof given by this ministry, that is this act of generosity, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. They'll glorify God. Others will glorify God because of what you're doing. Let me just tell you that always happens. We don't always see it. In Philippians chapter four, verse 10, there's a verse that describes Paul in prison. He's writing to the church at Philippi and Paul's had a hard time in prison. He's been beaten, he's been starved, he's been cold. And the church at Philippi tried to help him but didn't have opportunity. And finally, a, a gift from Philippi broke through to the prison cell where Paul was. I don't know what they provided for him. It was probably very simple. Maybe food, maybe clothing, maybe a warm blanket, something very simple. But here's what he writes. The apostle writes back to the church and says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. But now at last you've revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. And he goes on and gives us that amazing line, not that I speak from want, but I've learned to be content in whatever state I'm in. But Paul is saying, I glorify God on your behalf for your generosity of meeting me in the middle of a need. May I say to you today that every act of generosity has a reciprocating opportunity for others to glorify God because of our generosity. Now I'm gonna do this to you one more time. I hate to do this again, but I'm gonna do it. I'm going to put a picture of the pecan tree up on the screen again. Three weeks in a row. I'm not running out of ideas. I just can't get over this one. When I was 12 years old, my dad gave me 10 acres of land on which to plant pecan trees. He told me I would be able to buy a mini bike, not telling me it took 10 years for trees to mature. So at the age of 22, they were first starting to mature, and I didn't want a mini bike anymore. But those trees are still standing. Now, that's just a stock photo that shows a mature pecan tree. But I planted those 100 pecan trees, and I watered them at night through several summers and watched them grow. And I've been back to that grove since that time, 100 trees. And uh, they're 100 feet tall, 70-some feet wide, and they yield thousands and thousands of pecans. And my main regret is that I don't still own that land. That's the main regret. But I've been overwhelmed over and over by the power of planting a seed. 
I'm reminded over and over that when you plant seeds and you let God's natural law take over, amazing things happen. I actually, and I do this sometimes, and I probably shouldn't, but I spent time last night trying to calculate the value of all those pecan trees. And what I know is this. I know they now have yielded over 40 years of fruit, and they all yield about 187,500 pecans a year. That means 7.5 million pecans have dropped to the ground from those trees that I planted when I was 12 years old. Don't say amen, it's really not a spiritual thing, but <laughs> it is a spiritual thing that when you plant one seed of generosity, one seed of the gospel, one seed of love and compassion, fruit is being born years into the future that you don't see right now. If God's natural law yields such fruit, what does God's supernatural law yield? There will always be more than you planted. It'll always be the type of seed you planted. It'll always be later than you planted, but you must have faith that in planting, God will honor the whole principle. Putting resources into the kingdom of God through generosity brings glory to God for all the lives of those that are touched. I shared last week with you, and I'll share it again. I want you to know this, that over the last 10 years, this church has given $16 million in mission, $16 million in mission. This is what you say amen to right here. $16 million. You say, well, what's that supposed to mean? It means that people hear the gospel all around the world because of an act of generosity that you have done in your seats in a worship center or in the offering box when you leave or in writing a check and putting it in the mail and saying, I want people to know the gospel of Jesus like I know the gospel of Jesus. Generosity impacts lives all over and you have done that. I'm thankful for that. We want to be a generous church. We want to be a church that knows how to live generously and it adds up. Last night, I, I sent out a quick text to our student pastor, Kent Wells, and, and asked him to give me a number because I began to think about a really tangible gift that we often do in terms of acts of generosity. And that tangible gift is helping kids go to camp. Camp's a big deal for students. And over the last 10 years, we've done a lot of my one gifts. And basically, Kent says we have camp coming up and we need people to be generous so that we can send kids to camp that can't afford it otherwise or that don't understand the spiritual value of camp. And so we need to, to have provision for that. And so it's, it's well known among us that when kids go to camp and it's gifted to them like that and they hear the gospel of Jesus, many, many of them give their lives to Christ or baptize and we follow them up. And many kids have come through here that have done that. So I asked Ken, how many kids have we sent to camp the last 10 years? And here's what he said. He said, the last 10 years, we've sent over 1,500 kids to camp in that category. Not total numbers of kids going to camp, just those that have gone on scholarship because our people have given scholarship for that. Over 10 years, 1,500. Most of them gave their lives to Jesus Christ because of an act of generosity to get them to camp. So think about the multiplying effect of one act of generosity. And I could talk about that ministry to ministry to ministry that you're familiar with here. But here's the bottom line. We are called to a life of generosity. And when we are, we watch God work in supernatural ways. But let me just say this. You can't possibly imagine what that's going to look like until you get to heaven. And when you stand with Jesus in heaven and look around you at all the people that have come to faith because of your act of generosity, all the people that have glorified God because of something you did, man, you're going to be blown away. You're going to need a glorified body to hold in all your emotions. 
that's going to be more than you can handle in the natural. So standing with God, we're going to do a lot of praising, a lot of glorifying of God because of how he allowed us to be a part of generosity on planet Earth. Last two weeks I've said this to you. I want to close with this. I've asked you, what kind of giver are you? And I want to remind you that there are five kinds of givers that we've been talking about. One of them is a beginning giver, a person that's just now learning to give, a person that's just now learning, I can actually give up something that I have, time, effort, energy, I'm willing to serve, I'm willing to give financial offerings to the, to the Lord through the church, that beginning giver that's just now learning to walk by faith. And there are many of you in this room that are just now learning to walk by faith, just as we heard in the testimony a few moments ago, move from being someone who doesn't serve, doesn't give, doesn't share anything to a place where you're a beginning giver and watch God begin to open the door of blessing. There are some of us that are consistent givers because from beginning to give, consistency is next. Where we say, this is needing to be a regular part of my life, regularly once a month or, or regularly once every two weeks, I need to give to the Lord or I need to serve some of my Time. I need to serve with preschool once a month or every other week. I need to serve with our student ministries over the course of time. I need to be at the door in the parking lot. I need to give some of my time consistently. And consistent givers begin to be very enthusiastic about their impact. And it's really easy to move to what next, which is what we call the tithing giver. The person that says a certain percentage of my time needs to be given to the Lord. A certain percentage of my income. And in the, in the Bible, the tithe is the standard for where we ought to be at and it's a place from which we grow from there. 10% of your income, 10% of your time, 10% of what you're able to give is an incredibly important moment to be at. And all of us should move toward that place, but not stop there. You may be a tither and you may be saying, what's next? Well, an expanding giver says, I tithe regularly. I know God's blessing in the tithe. And now I want to expand that. I want to look around me to other areas that have need. And I want to give to those areas because it's incredibly important to me that they move forward in the kingdom. And then there's the extravagant giver. When you're at the place where God has shown you, you can make an extraordinary impact in a church, a ministry, or in a people group to help further the gospel. That's where we want you to be, an extravagance. I've never known an extravagant giver who said, man, I wish I hadn't have given extravagantly. Never known anybody like that. I've known people that have given extravagantly or in an expanding way that say, what else should I be investing in? Because I want it to go as far as it can in changing people's lives. Live a life of generosity. Find out where you are on that and start. And then start being consistent and then start carving off a larger part of what you give. And watch God begin to work and watch others begin to glorify God through what you do. I want you to bow your head for just a moment. I'm gonna ask our prayer counselors to come to the front right now. I know this is a message on generosity. I know it involves giving and sharing. But I also wanna remind you that I talked early on in this message about the God who provides. Now, let me just tell you, the God who provides is providing, first of all, for you, salvation. You may be in this room and you may say, you know, I, I don't really know what that means. I don't know how that works. Let me just tell you that God loves you so much that he doesn't want to punish you for your sin and for your separation from him, but he's a just judge and he must punish the guilty. And that's a problem because of the offense of sin. All of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory. 
But God solves the problem through the sufficiency of Jesus. The fact that Jesus came and died on the cross means that your sins can be paid for and your sins can be completely washed free. It's just not yours until you make a personal response of turning from sin and putting your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's that personal response we invite you to today. We've invited you to worship. We've invited you to pray. I'm inviting you to make a decision today. A decision to put your faith and trust in Christ. If you've never done that, you can do it right here. And I should tell you, this is a really urgent kind of decision because it's about all eternity. What happens on the basis of this decision is for all time and all eternity. Don't reject the God who loves you and the Son that He sent for you. And it begins your life transformation. In just a few moments, I'll close in prayer. And many will move on to the next part of their day. I want you to pause, walk forward. I want you to take the hand of one of the individuals here and say, you know, I really need to talk to you about this decision. I want to respond to the invitation to make a decision. Some of you need to make a decision when it comes to generosity. Let me just say to you today, telling someone else that God is talking to you about generosity is one of the most important things you can do. They can help advise you, give you counsel. They can help tell you what God did in their lives. But come and talk to one of these today. If you're a guest, I'd like to see you in the guest reception room. After the spiritual decision time is over, just join me right outside the center exit doors outside. Would you stand with me? And as we stand, let me pray close our service today. Father, today I thank you so much that you love us so much that you've given your son Jesus for us. I thank you that you have promised that you would demonstrate your ability to provide. Thank you that you are the God who provides and you've done that through Jesus. Today I ask you to help us to live by faith and walk by faith in what we've looked at today, what we know is true. And Father, I pray that you'll move all of us to the place where we can say, that we are obeying you and that we're living a life of generosity. Thank you for the weeks we've taken to pause and think and consider that. Lord, use them in our lives in the days ahead and in the lives of those that will be touched because of our generosity and because of your provision in Jesus' name, amen.